you know, however it's managed, whatever image you're projecting, whatever the music is, like, if yeah. you're up on stage, people are going to well, be thinking of you in terms of you yeah. as a young female. Are you desirable? Are you not desirable? Right. It's, yeah, it's kind and, of, it's an inescapable fact. This conversation touches lightly on issues around mental health, body image, street harassment, sexism, gender and masculinity, amongst lots of other topics. An interesting conversation I have with my female friends is sometimes about whether women do often compliment their sort of male partners on what they look like in a nice way. Because I don't know if, if, I mean, if people do all the time in every relationship, whether they say, you know, you look great today or I'm really attracted to you or just anything that kind of sort of... It is almost like it's assumed that compliments about being sort of pretty or sexy or attractive or good-looking are more directed at women. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Scarlett. Hello, Scarlett. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm experiencing the weird experience that it always is to start recording after you're already in conversation with someone. And like, I've also I've put the headphones on now. Yeah, now it's so like, and like, now I feel like yeah, like we're looking at each other in the eye. Like beforehand, I've been untangling my wires, um, so we were talking, but we weren't making eye contact. Now it's all gone like. I know. Now it feels quite intense all of a sudden, which hopefully is good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it does. Feel, it almost feels like we're in a competition with each other. I know. I think and, that's my yeah. posture at the no, moment. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's good. probably because I'm not used to being recorded. I've somehow adopted like <laughs> competition posture. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. like we're about to play chess or something. Yeah, that's right. It feels like we're going to play chess, and I guess uh, maybe a game of chess is a, a, a good metaphor for some some conversations. Um, but I don't. I don't intend to kind of get you into checkmate here. Okay. Um, I hope we can kind of just have a kind of amicable game. I always like stalemate, right? Where it's where no one wins. That's what I like. See, I can't play chess, so I'm hoping this is nothing like chess. Right. Well, I mean, we'll move away from chess, particularly if, you, if you're not familiar with the, with, the, with the game that much. I feel like I've got an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? So I guess we must have met at one of your hackney nights for Spark. Um, I can't remember which one it was. No, I can't remember this specific one. I think... And it might have been Brixton as well. Maybe, it yeah. It could have been there too, because yeah. I've seen you there a lot too. So the first Brixton night I went to was, what was the theme? I think it was something to do with like miscommunications or missed signals or something like that. Um, and I went there by myself with the intention of getting up and telling a story. But I kind of, I was pretty terrified about it. So I kind of thought that I would just come in get up, do the story, run away, and then I could just tell everyone that I'd done it um, because it was a kind of a little challenge I'd set for myself. And then I just really enjoyed it. So I kept coming back. So I guess I probably met you at lots of sparks by now. Right, and then you you kind of, I don't know how it exactly happened, but at some point you kind of reached out to the team in general, maybe on on one of the nights personally or maybe by email, and you're kind of now a part of the Spark London team. Yeah. Um, And I like that about Spark. Like everybody in the team kind of starts because they fell in love with storytelling and uh, with Spark. And then that's kind of the, the coming in point to the team. And so it, it means that you're always working with people who are really passionate about what's going on, which is great. And you're doing the newsletter. I am, yeah. I think I hadn't really even done that many Spark Nights when I asked if I could help out on the team. Right. I think it was just because everyone always looked like they were having so much fun. Yeah. And it was that kind of, just that atmosphere where everything starts winding down at the end and all the team members kind of group together and chat about what's happened and everyone was really approachable and you could like, I think I was chatting to Charlie first at the Brixton night right. and it just it seemed like something I really wanted to be part of in any way but I wasn't really sure what I would do because right. you know I wasn't up to hosting um, yet well I mean and, and well that's how it kind of goes I think you kind of kind of you join the team and then that's just kind of a 
a, a name to a certain extent, which means you just turn up to events and uh, enjoy it and get into it. And then you find your niche, like the area that you, you need to fit. And like sometimes that means that people have left the team and then so there's a, a space to fill. But uh, And I guess that was kind of similar because you were taking over, somebody had been doing the newsletter and then it would kind of, it was lying fallow for six months. Uh, but it kind of fits in a little bit with your kind of other skills I think doing mm. the newsletter and I guess we, we'll we'll probably address that the in the the answer to the next question uh, but before that I should just make clear just in case we haven't uh, Spout London is a true storytelling night uh, that happens uh, across London um, the Hackney one that I run is on the second Monday of the month and the Brixton one that Charlie runs is on the third Monday of the month and in fact when I say run that's not really accurate there's actually other people who are producing the nights we're the hosts I don't know why I kind of just I just uh, gave us a promotion uh, the second question is what do you do now so I I work at Men's Health magazine um, and I've been there for I think coming on for six years um, yeah so it's kind of it's the only sort of grown-up job that I've I've ever had um, I started there when I was 21 and I'm 27 now but yeah I do a bit of writing for them and I work on their production team and um, so I do a bit of editing as well um, and a few kind of organisational bits, lots of spreadsheety things. Right. Um, but writing was the thing that I kind of I really wanted to do when I first first joined the team there. Yeah, and and so how did uh, it come about that you came to be working for uh, a magazine about men's health? To be honest, I I really liked the idea of working for a men's magazine. Um, I don't think there was any particular reason for it. I just always had it in my head that that would be something that I wanted to do. Um, I started off doing uh, sort of local news reporting just as an intern on a few local papers around where I lived, um, which was around like Mid-Sussex and Crawley. And then I did, I did a journalism course that was, it was, it's called Brighton Journalist Works. And actually I'd really recommend it for anyone who's thinking about getting into journalism. Um, because I didn't have a, a degree or anything like that. I just kind of came into it having no idea what I was doing um, <laughs> or really having any idea of what kind of job I was expecting to get out of it. But yeah, the, the courses are only sort of 10, 20 weeks long and you can do it part-time if you're working, which I was just working in a local bar at the time. So that was really helpful for me. Um, and then from that course, I ended up doing an internship at Esquire magazine. And then from there, went straight to Men's Health. Um, initially, it was just for a work experience placement, but they had a vacancy. So I did not expect to get it at all, just purely based on the fact that I was 21 and had no prior job experience. And it seemed like, to me, the idea of working on a national magazine at that age and or just working in London or just being paid by anyone to write seemed like something I was going to have to spend years building up to. So I kind of just thought I would apply for the job and see what happened. Um, and then for whatever reason, they liked me. And then I basically just stuck around. Right. So, I mean, journalism is, is, is obviously, you know, what you want to do and it's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But why... why men's magazines why you might not know I mean there might not be a reason but I feel like asking the question yeah I, to be honest I'm still not entirely sure I might just be because I've got two brothers and I've always had well actually no I have a lot of female friends now but six years ago I probably had a lot more male friends and I feel like the world that I kind of existed in was quite male in a lot of ways so I think most of the the sort of the magazines that I had read myself, um, I was more likely to read sort of Esquire or GQ or right. sort of men's magazines than women's magazines. And actually, I think probably my perspective on that has shifted quite a lot in the last six years. Right. Just because since moving into my job and since moving to London, I've made so many great female friends and sort of been introduced to a lot of really great female writers that I... Like now, I think, I don't know whether sort of men's magazines, women's magazines, I don't think I've got a particularly strong preference. Right. Um, but I mean, I think interestingly, over the past six years, my writing style has become incredibly male. And I'm not even sure what I mean by that. But I think I find it easier now to relate to and write for a male audience. 
Whereas I think if I was to work on a, a women's magazine now, I'd probably, I'd have to adapt the way I write, uh, I write it, oh God. <laughs> I'd have to, um, right. yeah, well, I'd have to adapt. This is writing, you're not, you know, this is. Yeah, so I, this, I don't do speaking. You're not, being, you know, you're not yeah. being judged on your speaking ability. Yeah, I hope not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'd have to adapt my writing style to sound more female, which is, which is interesting. Right, that is interesting. I mean, like what, like. I mean, male and female are words that I, I don't even really know what they mean. You know what? Neither do I. As <laughs> I was even as I was saying that, I was like, I really don't know. Like, I don't think I could even explain what the difference is. But there, there does seem to be such a distinct way that people write for a female audience right. and write for a male audience. And I don't even know if I could really articulate what the difference is. Right. But sometimes I think like that's also like I don't know that there's loads of men out there that would would appreciate the writing for female audiences but just don't mm. don't don't because society sort of says don't uh, don't don't do that and then there's loads of women out there like you 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 sound like you're one of them who kind of responds better to that style or that kind of a, a thing is, is was what you were interested in reading right is, is yeah. what you said so i mean that's it's a complicated one really but i mean and also you know like that's a very binary way of putting it, right? Men and women, like mm. there's, you know, there's a there's a spectrum of different p- genders and and sexes as well, like uh, between those two points. I mean, and it, you know, talking to you, like we've met quite a few times, yeah. And you, you've told lots of stories at Spark, um, but often your stories at Spark don't necessarily reveal much about you. Yeah, because one of the things I really wanted to do at Spark, but somehow haven't managed to do yet would be to tell a story that was something that felt vulnerable and personal right. and felt like I was actually exposing something about myself. But mostly so far, I've just told quite sweet, light-hearted yeah. stories about my family and school. Yeah. And I don't, I, yeah, I don't know why that is. I think maybe, I don't know, I haven't found the story that I want to tell yet, whether there is... Whether eventually there will be a theme where I'll think to myself like, oh, that's a theme that I can really, you know, reveal something vulnerable about. Because I think that is that is the nice thing about Spark is that so many people are so honest and open in a way that, you know, there's a huge amount of trust that the audience is going to be receptive to what they're saying and non-judgmental. and certainly all the nights I've been at, that has been the case. Yeah. But yeah. it's amazing how I can sort of sit at the back and watch other people do that and say, like, God, that's like that's great that they've come up and said that. And yet, if I get up on stage, I'm always trying to keep it kind of quite light. Yeah, I mean, it'll come. Like, mm, I imagine yeah. that's the thing. The theme will happen, the right moment will happen. I mean, you know, I, I find myself, I'm, I'm often, you know almost in the in the opposite position it's very hard for me to find a light-hearted uh non kind of deep uh not, not to suggest that you know I've got kind of like more depth than other people but I just I'm not very good at telling stories uh that don't make me a bit vulnerable mm. uh, and sometimes I'd like to you know sometimes I'd like to do more light stories sometimes um but like that's the thing we've met a few times and yeah you I haven't necessarily learned because quite often I, when I have people who I've met at Spark um it's it I normally say you know we don't know each other that well but I know loads of things about you um whereas I don't think that's the case with you I know a little bit about kind of the history of you getting into local journalism right mm-hmm. uh, which you've kind of we've touched on already and I think that's all of the personal details you know I know that your your grandma uh, got a tattoo and you helped yeah. her to get that tattoo but that's kind of in a, in a way that that story is quite a lot about her it doesn't yeah. give you anything about you and then last night's story uh that you told you, you were in it you definitely were in it but uh, you were much more kind of an observer of it mm. even though you were also the instigator of it it was a weird yeah one. And and so, like, I don't really feel like I do know much about you, but I do, like, we have talked quite often at Spark, and it's always a bit of a weird vibe talking to people at Spark, because, you know, either, either I'm hosting or I'm worrying about the audio, and none of that means I'm fully present in the conversations. But, like, um, and we've talked about men's issues, if you like. We've talked about, like, my show that I've made about masculinity. We've talked about some of the, you know, some area, like areas around feminism I guess like would you would you define yourself as a feminist yeah absolutely um I I think it's one of those words almost like what we were saying about sort of uh female audience and male audience that 
I think everyone has such wildly differing views about what the word means now. Well, there's a that, number of different kinds yeah, of Yeah, like I know I am one. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's almost up for other people to interpret. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely put myself in that category. Right. And so, and, and right, and and you, you're. It sounds like you're some someone, and I don't want to kind of character. I don't want to caricature your your life, but you know, you sound like um, a kind of a meme that goes around that we hear about. Is kind of uh, women who are like, all, all of my best friends are men. Mm. Uh, I'm only friends with men, and then kind of sometimes those women have like a moment of like oh shit no like I've actually been buying into like a lot of negative messages about women and actually women are fine and then they grow women as within their friendship group right is that that you know what no one has ever said that to me I don't think but that is pretty much bang on I'd say that's very perceptive of you um you know yeah, because I could think... could have easily been wired off the mark, so I'm glad... No, it, I mean, that was, was... I would say that was um, really... I would say that's very indicative of my life. Um, I mean, it's not that I never had female friends, but I think certainly, um, you know, because I grew up with uh, two younger brothers and I would always really enjoy hanging out with them and their friends. Um, and then when I was 14, I got into a band at school. Um, and that was something that dominated a lot of my life. I was in this band from the age of uh, 14 up until 21. Wow. So pretty much just before I started at Men's Health, at right. a men's magazine. And that kind of music world was also, I was always around men. So and, were you the, a singer? or maybe Yeah, maybe? yeah right. I was. I was a singer. And what um, kind of music? So it was, I guess, sort of blues, folk, um, very kind of slightly sort of country influence. Cool. Um, but yeah, that was, I mean, that was, that's probably one of the defining things of my life in that that's what I spent all of my teenage years doing. Right. Um, and were you really, like, were you serious about it, ambitious about it as a group? Yeah, I see, I don't know if I would describe myself as ambitious about it because I, it's not that I'm not an ambitious person, but I'm not someone who wants to put themselves out there in a really kind of obvious way. You know, I was I was immersed in it rather than ambitious about it. Right. In that I I wanted to be in that world all the time. Right. But I wasn't necessarily right, right. sort of eager to get up on stage and get people to notice me and have my photo taken. But um, you were the lead singer. I know. That right. was well that was the weird kind I mean, of I mean I'm also have been a lead singer at times in Okay. Times. And, uh, you know, I, I understand also the impulse of, like, getting immersed in it and not wanting to be the centre of attention. But, you know, if you're the lead singer, you also... There's a part of you that wants to be the centre of attention. Like, you can't uh, yeah. get away from it. I think it, that's definitely... That. That's, like, a certain type of person. And I don't know if you're the same, of that kind of thing of wanting to hide and not be scrutinised and not be looked at. But at the same time, there must be a bit of me yeah. that wants... not. Not even attention, but wants to be seen and acknowledged yeah. because I've always, you know, I was always like one of the kids that did all the school plays and right, right. then went me, into being a band <laughs> and yeah, now right. I'm no, doing Spark exactly. and doing things like this yeah. and writing. So there's yeah. clearly a bit of me that really wants people to look at me and see me and yet there's also another bit of me that's really yeah. shy and yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. like and both of those things are yeah true. Like, and they like, kind like, of coexist yeah, really naturally but in, yeah, yeah in a really strange way but yeah I I really loved being in a band um but at the same time I don't think it was uh, a natural fit for me I think probably just because I was too young at the time and I think any girl who's sort of 14 to sort of 17 that kind of age you might want attention but it's not necessary I'm not I don't again I'm talking about girls um whether it's probably the same for boys as well um but me as a girl I don't think it was necessarily I don't think I was very good at getting attention at that age like I think I could probably handle it a lot better now at 27 but I think at 16 
being on stage, having a photo taken, having right. people ask you questions, yeah. having to meet yeah, 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 strangers yeah. in seemingly very kind of grown-up settings. Right. I think. I mean, not just seemingly actual grown-up settings. I'm yeah. Thinking. And like, yeah, I can I can see what you mean. And I, I never got very far. Like, I when I was a teenager, I was in bands, but we didn't really. You know, we mm. we, we were more. You know, we made some good recordings and we played some weird gigs but we didn't like we didn't we weren't going anywhere we weren't like having photos taken and I imagine being the center of attention as a woman as a 16 year old girl in fact yeah like that's a complicated thing because part of the thing that sells the band is well you yeah like the that's and so I guess when you're talking about attention I guess you're also talking about like people desiring the image of you, which is different from you. Yeah, and I I don't think that's something, yeah, that's not really something you can escape because if you're a young female in a band, you know, however it's managed, whatever image you're projecting, whatever the music is, like all of, if you're up on stage, people are going to be thinking of you in terms of you as a young female. Are you desirable? Are you not desirable? Right. It's, yeah, it's kind of, it's an inescapable fact. But that's why we like the band. One of the, that's one of the reasons we like the bands that we like. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and that is an area I think that is probably, uh, crosses all of the genders, but probably in different ways it's experienced because Mm -hmm. certainly being a young, attractive guy, like, uh, at the front of a band is also going to be a complicated yeah, thing yeah, to experience. Yeah, same thing, yeah. And particularly, you know, particularly these kind of sensitive, shy, singer-songwriter guys who have not been desired before suddenly becoming uh, figures of, like, desirability, that must be really complicated to experience too. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's such a weird point in your life when... Because I... I mean, not, I'm obviously still young now and I'm not going to pretend by any means that I've worked out who I am or... But, you know, I've worked out a little bit more than I had 10 right. years ago, in just in right. terms of the fact that I'm still insecure, but marginally less insecure. Um, right. <laughs> so, yeah, like I, it was, it was a, a really fantastic experience just to be able to sing and have people listen to you sing and seem to like it. Obviously, not everyone liked it, but, you know, the people who did... <laughs> that meant a huge amount to yeah, me. Yeah, right. Um, if it had just been five people, that would have meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, um, I did, when I sort of left that world, I did really enjoy being able to have a job where I was at a desk and no right. one was kind of, I could just kind of quietly, you know, put my headphones on and get on with my work and have that kind of, not, you know, it's it's not, it probably sounds like I'm sort of overstating the amount of, Atten- there wasn't really that much attention on me but in in my head that's, I think you always magnify that's things that's significant like in that it's, it's about your experience how you experienced it mm. it doesn't matter if it's two people or t- you know yeah, 200,000 yeah. people like the way that you experience it is still the way you experience it but like and so that's in so yeah so that's an interesting thing then like so you you were in a band with men you had like the complexities of being a woman fronting a, a, a band which is going to be complex in loads of ways mm-hmm. not even the ways we've you know more than just we've mentioned um and then you kind of kind of dive into the kind of cover of of journalism uh, where you still get your name on things but you don't have to deal with a lot of that other mm-hmm. uh stuff so that's a very good change um, but it's also interesting to me that, yeah, like you're like the kind of person you are. We've, you know, we've been talking for a while now, so listeners can, can judge that like the same as, as I am, I guess. And so like, it's interesting that you're working in like, uh, in men, men's magazines, I guess, like people wouldn't necessarily expect, like I bet when you go to parties, people don't necessarily expect you to be working for a men's magazine, right? Yeah, I think the most fun is probably when I go to press events, particularly if I'm standing next to a sort of typical fit-looking man. Right. The number of times people will kind of address things to that person and I'll have to sort of go, oh, no, actually, it's me, like, um, wave them over in my direction. Um, not that I think everyone assumes that uh, everyone who works for a men's title is going to be a man and everyone who works for a female title is going to be a woman, but... Yeah, I think there's... Yeah, um, but they do, a bit. Yeah, and I think it's natural. I'm sure I do it as well. I'm sure if I went to a 
a press event and I was looking for sort of a writer for Glamour magazine, I would look to the woman rather than the man. Right. Just because your brain naturally makes that connection. And do you have people who are like, why, you know, how, why are you a woman writing for men? Like, is, like do people object to that? Like, it, they definitely object the other way around, I feel. Like, um, I, I, I don't think anyone, whether they think it, right. I don't know. <laughs> but I think... I don't think anyone would ever say that to me. Right. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone. No, I don't I think mean, anyone particularly cares. I, I feel, no, I mean, the, I can, yeah. You know, I can imagine that the people who would care, and they're probably never going to come into contact with you. Like mm. men, men's rights activists probably would object to women writing about their, uh, particularly someone who might be a feminist woman. Yeah. Uh, writing, yeah, for men's uh, issues, if you like, around men's issues, and you do write. Like you are like I see you on Facebook sharing, you know, uh, you know, issues, serious issue campaigns, right? Mm. Like uh, serious health issues for men and things like that, that that men's health, unsurprisingly, given its title. I mean, I've never read men's health. Uh, No, Uh, I wouldn't. You wouldn't think I would be your target audience, right? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's hard trying to work out who our target audience is. The majority of the time it's always, you know... (laughs) Every time you think you kind of assume you know who the reader is, you'll meet someone and realise, oh, actually, you know, I don't, I don't know. Any assumptions that I have about young gym-going men, it's not always exactly who you're expecting. Um, but yeah, what you were saying about the sort of the Facebook posts, we've been doing a lot of stuff recently focusing on mental health issues, right. which I've been really happy about. Um, just because I think uh, as a kind of a men's issue particularly because sort of men are perhaps less willing sometimes to talk about serious issues um, of a kind of an emotional nature, then I think that's that's something that I've been really happy to have been a part of. Just because we've got a lot of responses, um, you know, we've done a lot of kind of surveys and it's, you know, it's lovely the number of... When you sort of think that your readers mostly want to talk about um, their sort of their fitness regimes or what they're eating or what they hope to look like or sort of it's really nice to find out that actually so many people really do want to talk about how they're feeling whether or not they're stressed whether or not they feel pressure to be the head of the family or sort of all these things that you're not sure whether people are going to be receptive to talking about um finding out that so many people have been that's definitely something that I've I've been really happy about right and that's interesting I mean that that very much parallels my experience of doing like shows about like patriarchy for men is that like there's loads of men really desperate to talk about this stuff like Mm. it it, you know we men might be socialized not to um but there's loads of men really really wanting to and it's you know I think that's good that you're that men's health are doing that you know as someone who doesn't uh, lift and uh, uh, I can't imagine I can't I'm, I'm sure I have at some point lifted a weight that I'm sure that's happened in my I, life I hardly ever do at the moment right I used to when I first started there I think it was because I was so keen to kind of just throw myself into the job um I used to go to the gym all the time but now I don't know. I suppose now that I've been there for a few years, I'm kind of settled in the fact that I know the magazine well and I know the subjects well. So I'm, I've kind of, I'm not so much the the regular gym goer anymore. Right. I mean, which I'm I, quite happy with. Oh yeah, no, I understand. I, I can understand that. I mean, and, and when you're like, I guess you aren't like you say, you're not the people that you're writing about mm. or for. I mean, have, have you changed how you think about men having written for men over this time? Um, I don't think I've changed. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever been someone who had... I'd like to think I've never been someone who had very fixed views about what men are like because I just, yeah, I just don't... I don't think it's so easy to to generalise in that way. I've never been someone who's sort of complained of, I don't know, men treating women in a certain way because I think that is such a, a sweeping generalisation to make. And, you know, I think some some men are really interested in what they look like, some men really aren't. Right. Some men view women in one way, some men view women in another way. If anything, I have probably fewer views 
on yeah. how I think men's brains work than than ever. Right. Well, uh, or that's... people's brains, more to the point, human beings. Absolutely. I mean, that makes. I mean, that makes sense that you'd have less mm. uh, views because I mean, certainly, you know, as much as I'm not like I'm not saying you know. Uh, that it isn't acceptable to make structural criticisms of uh, men or masculinity or any of these things, but certainly doing a show making those criticisms, um, I've come out the other side with less kind of assumptions mm. or uh, judgments around men than I they had going in, which which surprised me. Uh, like I'm much, yeah, I'm much more, you know. I, I like men more as a group, uh, having kind of done a thing that some men, uh, not ones I agree with, think is like, you know, anti-men. Uh, it's made me come out at the end going, yeah, I like men more. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting that that's kind of, not, I'm not saying you like men more now, but you have less fixed opinions about them. And that's a similar kind yeah. of uh, experience, I think. Yeah, I definitely, I don't think I've got any... <laughs> but that's I mean that's such an easy thing to say isn't it that I don't have any fixed opinions about any one group of people I'm sure that's probably not true I'm sure if you right. dig down I probably do but I'm probably just not aware of them but I would I mean, my my aim in life yeah. would be to someone to be someone who didn't have sort of strong fixed opinions about about anyone or anything really right I mean I, I can understand, oh, it's a big aim I, I don't think yeah I mean, yeah, I can definitely understand that aim and, and, and sympathise with it a lot. I mean, my thing is I, I don't want to be certain about anything. Mm, yeah, I'm exactly. I'm very terrified of certainty. People who are certain terrify me. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say I'm sure I sound certain quite often in my life, but I don't feel certain. Yeah. Maybe, feel, maybe yeah. no one feels certain, but everyone acts it. But some people really are consistently certain and they uh, are, are scary to me. Yeah, see, I think I probably sort of sit on the fence about most things and I think it's just because every time I talk to someone I'm I'm I like you know I'll try and listen to other people's points of view but I think to the point where I find it really hard to have like I don't think there's anything in my life that I have a really strong fixed opinion about right um I think my sort of my view on things is constantly right constantly moving about but you're a woman in society and mm. you are aware as well that like you will be aware personally of your you know you'll have experienced sexism right um and sounds like as the the front person of a band I'm yeah. sure there was a lot of sexism around that I mean I'm a man and I've experienced sexism like I'm not somebody who thinks like people say there's no such thing as reverse sexism and I'm like well fair enough the reverse is absolutely unnecessary but there's definitely sexism that works around like I've, I've been a man who's worked with kids and I can tell you that there's lo- I mean I'm sure you don't need to know because you already know but there's loads of uh, assumptions made around men who work with kids or all sorts of complicated assumptions sometimes um and you know it it i know sexism exists mm. you know sexism exists um and so it must be complicated as someone who experiences sexism like some days you must be just really fed up with men and then you go in and have to write about men That's i what I'm genuinely <laughs> never ever feel that way um, I, mean, I think, but I mean, obviously, I get. I know this sounds really worthy. I, I do get fed up with individual people, but I, I can <laughs> honestly say I don't think I've ever been fed up with men as a group. Right. It's probably just because I'm so close to my brothers, right? And I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm friends with my dad, and I think probably having that nice kind of support network of family members who aren't just. Um, you know, people you're related to, but people whose company you enjoy. Yeah, I, that's a good That thing. probably insulates me against thinking, like, oh, men, what are they like? Right. Um, and also, all my colleagues are really nice, um, which I... But I think another thing that I do feel strongly about is people not letting their own personal experiences um, sort of colour their view of, of what things are like mm. for other people. Mm. I think I'm incredibly lucky in that I know a lot of really nice men who have always been really... I mean, not everyone, that I've met some shit ones as well, but mostly a lot of really nice men who've been really kind to me and are good friends. But I know that that's not by any means everyone's experience. Right. So if I were to sort of then generalise and say, well, you know, I've been working in a male environment and everyone's lovely to me, so... I guess sexism isn't the big deal everyone makes it out to be, right. then I think that would be ridiculous. Right. <laughs> um, because I do think that 
I've been quite lucky. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it, yeah. which is great. Like, I, I, you know, I never think it's a bad thing when people have been lucky in those ways. Mm. And certainly, I mean, you know, I've, I I make a show about how all, all of the traumatic experiences that I've ever had in my life, pretty much. Um, and I'm very well aware that I'm not suggesting that all men have had that many traumatic, traumatic experiences. There's loads of men who walk through life very happy um, and kind of really embodying this idea of male privilege that we talk about. Um, but there's also men completely on the opposite side of that scale. And I, I assume that's a similar thing for, for women, right? Yeah. You're, you're kind of like an, an example of that. Like, and actually, you know, my partner, uh, she... Uh, said she'd never like experienced any street harassment she'd never like been aware of that until she was kind of like in her like like early 20s or mid 20s actually when when we when we moved to london uh which isn't to say you know london's terrible for street harassment which i guess it uh, probably actually is, you know what i'm gonna say i do think london is that. terrible for street harassment I've, actually as fair. you said that that was the point where i was like oh <laughs> uh, yeah no that is um yeah. that's probably that that's probably the most um, pervasive form of sexism that I find in my own life. Right, it's just the experience of wandering around London by yourself. Like the number of, and I think that that's one thing that I sort of switching switching to the other side. I do think that is one thing that I think it's probably difficult for um, not all men, but some men to understand yeah. is that it's not yeah, yeah. just like once every six months someone right. sort of says shout something out at the back of a van like it's it is constant yeah. in london it is constant yeah. or in certain sort of pockets of london right um that yeah that that does get quite exhausting yeah absolutely i mean but i mean and, and london isn't isn't the only place that the street harassment no. happens as, as well i mean and and, and so you know I, I see my partner's like kind of early years as kind of a, a lucky experience but we also realized that she, uh, you know during her teenage years she went goth and so the kinds of things that we yelled out at her at the street, she just thought that's what, you know, because they were yelling goth out. That's mm. what happened to the men as well, the boys, I guess, as well. And so she didn't see a gendered element to that. And so mm. she didn't. And that's interesting, too. Like, I I think I, I don't I'm not saying I fully understand what it's like to be a woman experiencing street harassment, but I've had quite a lot of harassment in the streets through my life. And so I'm I'm much more like like that leads me to be in a position where I'm more likely to believe, I think. That's another thing. Like, I think men who have no experience of anything negative quite often find it really hard to uh, believe that there's negative stuff out there because that, that, that makes them... To believe that means that they, they have to realise how how cocooned they've been, right? How, how safe their life has been and how it isn't for other people. That's quite a hard, complicated... I'm not letting them off the hook, but I do think it's a complicated yeah. thing oh, to, no. to get think... your head around. And, like, I guess I feel that sometimes, like, I've had a bit of a head start in that I've had a lot of... Like, I was bullied a lot at school, but also, you know, I, I've... I've got a lot of grief on the streets and so I'm I'm fully believed that it happens and uh you know uh it's kind of in, in, in you know now I've got long hair occasionally it even happens to me before I turn around um so you know it's it, and that's an interesting level I think like I, I don't you know I'm not excusing any uh street harassment but I think if you're yelling out at me from behind then you probably need to really take a really good look at yourself you're just yelling at any female assumed mm, human yeah. that you see because uh, I you know I I don't think I'm particularly worthy of street harassment uh, but I don't think that it's a worthy thing and that's actually yeah. I don't want to frame it that way because that's to suggest it's a good thing and it isn't although it is a complicated thing because I do know women who sometimes say you know when they're feeling really low certain moments of street harassment have like brightened their day in mm. a weird way yeah, um, which is I, not to, and I'm, I'm certainly not defending street harassment. No, but I think but if someone feels something, then <laughs> you know, I'm sure that probably does happen. Right. And it is, as you said, it is a really complicated thing. I remember listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one it was, but there was a a journalist who was approaching men on the streets who had been shouting comments out at young women and sort of interviewing them on the spot and saying, "What were you thinking when you shouted that out?" And these were like sort of teenagers, like sort of 18, maybe up to sort of 20. But the majority of them just kept saying, oh, well, you know, they, they quite like it, don't they? They've made an effort to dress up. And then this journalist was saying, well, if someone told you that, that it had upset them or made them feel nervous or uncomfortable or threatened, would you still do it? 
And they were like, well, of course not. But, you know, I doubt they feel that way. And then they'd sort of go and speak to the women and they'd say, yeah, it did make me feel really anxious. But I mean, you but know, yeah, I just yeah. think sometimes people just don't know. Well, and you're right. It's also to do with the volume. Now, there's a great uh, comic strip. I can't remember who it's by or what it like. I can't give a like a reference to this to, for people listening. But um, with, where it's like this woman just going through a day, getting loads of different kinds of se- uh, sexual harassment. And also like the varieties, like there are... The, you know, sometimes men think sexual harassment is just people saying, you look good looking, but that's mm. not. It's sometimes it's just like horrible, like abusive language. Like, you know, like people get called ugly as well as get called attractive on the streets. By yeah. Men. And so it's like this whole panels of her experiencing that. And then at the end, her like partner who hasn't experienced any of that saying, you know, oh, you should be grateful of the attention. I never mm. get any attention. And I think that that comic, I like that comic a lot because it's really true about how men don't get it because they don't know the volume of it and the kind of thing it is. But it also speaks to another truth, I think, around this kind of stuff, which is that men aren't sex- aren't sexualized enough or aren't sexualized in the right kinds of ways. I'm not suggesting that we should reverse it and make it as shit for men as it is for women. But there's also a sense like women aren't allowed to talk about desiring men that much mm. in society. Uh, and also men aren't allowed to feel pretty like, yeah. and, and, and aren't, allowed, like, aren't complimented. And so when men are complimented, they always love it because they get it so rarely, which means they understand even less why women hate it because they get it so much and it's not nice you know <laughs> yeah I mean that is um, weird sort one. of an interesting conversation I have with my female friends is sometimes about whether women do often compliment their sort of male partners on what they look like in a nice way because I don't know if, if I mean if people do all the time in every relationship whether they say you know you look great today or right. I'm really attracted to you or just anything that kind of sort of it is almost like it's assumed that compliments about being sort of pretty or sexy or attractive or good looking are more directed at women. Right, and, and women will say it's yeah, other women. Yeah, right? like and to their friends. And obviously men aren't going around to each other. And that would be nice if men complimenting, did that too, yeah. I think men should do that. Like, I think I occasionally they if, do. Yeah, You'll see a true. guy who's like sort of, mate, look at you. But it'll be kind of more in a slightly light-hearted way rather than the kind of sincere, like... Well, men's health yeah. seems to be the, the the right platform to be encouraging men to tell each other that they look good. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you're writing for it. I don't your, know. Maybe, I don't know to what extent men are much more uncomfortable with that just because it's less common for them to sort right. of compliment their friends, whereas women are constantly... But all of that's so social. You know, yeah. there are societies where, where men kiss kiss each other. When they, mm, like, yeah, that's hands. true. I mean, there's all sorts of... Uh, different cultural experiences that that kind of give different options around this stuff and I guess we get to choose to a certain extent what we want to do Um, but you're right it definitely is not something that men uh, feel very comfortable around I think Uh, it doesn't mean that we wouldn't be better off if we got a bit of it but it's like we tell kids like we tell young girls now and it's good that you know not everybody tells young girls this so I'm not saying it's it's all got better because loads of girls are getting the opposite message we tell young girls generally um that they're you know that they're, they're more than pretty like we t- mm. try not to say to, to young girls that they're pretty we try to say and i don't know understand why people are trying like i i, I just compliment people on what they're good at like and you know we we say they're you know intelligence matters or like but i don't even know like i don't want to build up kids intelligence either like i just think what it's yeah you know, it's a weird thing say, isn't it? say kind kind's the thing i i think we i'd like people to value kindness a lot more than, than than the others but like we don't say um make young boys feel pretty we just yeah. say stop making girl young girls feel pretty and maybe pretty something that shouldn't come into it until people are teenagers or adults but it's definitely something that people care about like you can't you can't get rid of that reality Mm. that we we you know like you know we fancy each other like people that's what they do yeah and so you can't get rid of that and so it's obviously a thing that we want to have we want to be attractive to other people as well as be valued for who we are Mm. um and it just seems like that there's like this the way we divide it between men and women we're we're really putting a lot of pressure on women in certain ways and 
not giving men kind of any of that in other ways but I might be wrong on that like I've seen yeah. I've seen recent and you'll know a lot more about this than me uh, potentially and now you're looking scared <laughs> we'll see. Um, like about like how there's been a, quite a few surveys suggesting that kind of men's body image is much more like uh, complicated than we thought like men mm. are much more insecure about these things uh, than people th- like to think yeah. And I can believe that. I mean, I felt ugly all my I, life and I don't feel I definitely feel body. like that's true. Um, I mean, just from personal experience, from sort of men I know and have known, I do think it's so easy to underestimate how sort of insecure men can be about the way they look. Because again, that's seen as being a, such a stereotypically female thing right. that women are worried about their appearance and their weight and things like that and worried about you know what they're eating but actually I do think that that is really prevalent in men as well and that's I mean again that's not going by any surveys or research or anything like that that's just going from like talking to male friends or people I've dated in the past who've been really insecure but I think yeah sort of the whole thing with compliments I think that's it's so difficult sometimes to work out what to say to people to make them feel good about themselves right because I find I even like I yeah I, I, I have no myself. idea and I don't know what compliments I want to hear either right like a lot of the time I'll find I'll do that kind of that thing if someone says something complimentary about you you almost it you feel like they're putting pressure on you to carry on performing in that way right. so if someone says you look nice or that you've you're particularly skilled at something yeah. or you've done a great job with this <laughs> yeah. there's almost that bit of your brain that's like oh but what happens if they expect me to to do that maintain yeah, this yeah, level yeah. of um or you I've, know well I'm not always going to be this dressed yeah, up or, or well I might fail next time, time. Yeah, yeah exactly this, the they, sort of imposter yeah, syndrome yeah, yeah. thing where you're like oh they, I seem to be getting away with it right it's almost impossible <laughs> to like to really work out what it is you can say to people that's going to make them feel genuinely kind of secure and happy. No, right. It's got to keep trying, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, I guess so. And it is really complicated. Like, that's that's really true. Like, I've, I often find that's a... Yeah, like, you want to compliment people, but people have such complicated relationships with every part of themselves, mm. whether it's their body or their mind or, like, their personality. It doesn't matter. Like, people are complicated. Like, you don't know what nerves you're touching, you know, but you've still got to live. You've still got to try and speak to other humans. Yeah, <laughs> just go, yeah. Right, I'm not going to use I'm any words because I don't want to offend in, and upset people. But then, yeah, like, and it, but it, then at the same time, it, you you speak better words if you're if you're being cautious yeah. about, about how people might feel. That's important to have in the mix. Yeah. I mean, normally when, you know, when people come on, I sort of do a vague Google or whatever, like, vaguely cyber stalk them and I was like scrolling down your Twitter feed mm-hmm. um, and I was noticing like unsurprisingly that you seem to be really into podcasts like you mentioned podcasts really already I do really like podcasts and you you know Spark did you hear the podcast first before you came or no you... no oh, I wow. didn't I found out about the podcast when I came to the the um, first night I went to right right but like you are, yeah you listen to a lot of podcasts how long have you been into podcasts um Probably for, I'd say, well, I think probably around about the time that I started at Men's Health was when I started listening to podcasts. So I guess about six years would be right. about the time frame. It's the first one I've been on, though. Right. <laughs> so, um, right. But yeah, I, I really love them. I think it's probably partly because I spend all day reading and looking at a screen. So sometimes in the evenings when I get home, I you know, I want to be learning about the world or listening to people or but I don't necessarily want to be reading again um so I think I've just got into the habit of I wake up in the morning I'll put something on I'll get home in the evening I'll put something on right of course because yeah you're yeah you're 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 looking at words all day and so yeah of course that makes sense and yeah I mean that's the good thing about podcasts is they can give you a lot of the same feels that you get when you read but like you don't have to do any work you can Mm, just like sit there and let it happen like lazy reading yeah when when we say podcasts like it's like saying television yeah right everyone's into television but everybody watches completely different things so like what 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 are your subcategories? I don't know. I listen to quite a lot of sort of comedy-based things right. or sort of, I don't know, shows where 
um, like I went to a live recording of the Bugle podcast recently, right. which was really that was, good. That was kind so of sort of yeah, shows like that this, yeah. where they have um, a lot of sort of comedy guests on, but then also just uh, like a sort of like Radio Lab and This American right. Life and sort of the those classics. shows. Yeah, the classics yeah. where they pick a subject and they get. Really, really in deep depth. into it. Um, I really love... Uh, there's a comedian called Paul Gilmartin who has a podcast called The Mental Illness Happy Hour. Yeah, I love that show. I, I love that I, one. I can't always listen to it. But, like, yeah, like yeah. It depends. I have to be in the right frame of mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I'll get sort of 10 minutes in and be like, this is not the day for it. Because it's big-time mental health stuff. Yeah. Like, it's big. It's, like, like fully del- delves in. Like, I, I, you know, obviously his guests know yeah. that they're going to do that. But like I never, I would, you know, I would never delve that deep into no, my guess. No, I, I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, there are days for that kind of thing, and then there are days where I just want to listen to Radio Lab or listen to sort of some comedy podcast right. or something like that. But then I'll also I'll go through phases where I'll listen to um, sort of sciencey ones, like sort of the Infinite Monkey Cage or something like right, that. That's cool. Um, right. Yeah, it, it depends. I kind of. I sort of dip in and out of different ones. Yeah, that's interesting that you like, you really like the Mental Illness Happy Hour and you have been doing kind of campaigns around mm. mental health. I mean, do you have, it's like, do you, do you ask people this kind of stuff like off the bat, but do you have experience of mental health uh, issues yourself? Yeah, I, nothing that I would say, it's not something that's dominated my life in any right. way, but I think probably like most people, I've had... Um, you know, I've had moments in the past where I felt like I needed to to sort of talk to someone about certain problems. Um, I've had sort of some experiences with therapy which were incredibly helpful. Um, so it's not something that's been a really sort of massive influence on my life, but it's something... I think it's something that... Because I know how helpful it's been for me to talk to my friends when I've been in a bad place and the extent to which right. that's encouraged them to then feel like they can open up to me. Because I think that's the amazing thing of once you say to someone, actually, I've been struggling with this and this, like 90% of people will then turn around and go, oh, me too, last right. year, I, well, you know, and then you're like, well, why didn't you tell me this before? Right. But I think that's just that's just people. Um, I mean, it's very much what happens at Spark, right? Like, yeah. One of the things I like about Spark is that people get up and talk about their experience and other people are like yes I've had that experience and at Spark we've done kind of collaborations with Mind a few times and so we've had quite a lot of uh, mental health uh, stories and you know what I always say when a mental health story comes out in an open mic is you know just ask ask for help you'd be surprised how many times it works and it feels Mm. a little bit like I don't know I feel like I've said it too many times now it doesn't feel authentic anymore Um, but hopefully I I still come across as authentic in those things but like that's that's the thing like talking to people is something that people always feel like they I don't know often often not always like not generalizing it but that's the thing that people feel they can't do right yeah I mean you you're saying that you've had experience with therapy mm-hmm. I'm 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 I'm, go- I'm getting therapy at the moment on the NHS uh had my last one for the summer on, on Monday I've got a little break which is not therapeutically what's supposed to happen but you know people have holidays was yours like on the NHS? Was it private or? Oh yeah, I, I kind like of went through all of them. Yeah, oh, cool. I, well, I, I tried the NHS route and that didn't. I don't know. I was probably too young because when I had my NHS therapy, I think I was about nineteen, and I think I was actually not in the frame of mind to actually listen to someone. It was more one of those things where I wanted to talk to someone, but then actually when it came down to it, I was like, change my mind, don't need help. Right, um, right. But mostly um, I did some some group therapy, which I think sort of support group type things, which I think for some people is not the best thing and for other people can be really helpful. Um, but I just made loads of really good friends that way. And now I don't... Like now I'm, I'm, I don't have any kind of structured anything in that sort of area. Um, but just from making loads of friends who I felt like... And also just my my sort of friends in my everyday life. I think once you start talking to a professional or whoever it is, um, you then realise, actually, it's so easy just to talk about things (laughs) and not to let things build up to the point where you start to feel really worried. So now I'm like one of those annoying people who the minute I feel something bubbling, I'll sort of go to my friends and be like... 
so I'm feeling a tiny bit worried about this and this, and then usually it just dissipates that's because help, yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. Being aware it's so of, easy, you know. Being aware of my my emotions and my feelings is you know a big part of what I'm currently working on. Mm. I mean, but then like it's it's come for me. I I find it's like a very different kind of process, maybe like because I'm so used to talking and I'm so used to talking about trauma and mental health and. Uh, like doing conversations like this and then like I'm sat in a therapist chair and I'm like hang on do I do my hour show do I do, I do a, a GBA conversation like how do I talk and what kind of talk should I do and then like the first couple of, th- of sessions I, I tried like right I'll have no filter I'll just go in and just anything that happens happens and then like after like two of them like she was like right I think we might need to focus this down a bit and I was like okay yeah right this is what happens when I have no filter I just like don't make any sense to anybody for an hour or 50 minutes it's not even it's, it's harsher than the, than a GBA therapy it's like bang on 50 minutes um so yeah like my I'm finding like like I don't know it, being a talker doesn't necessarily help and also being someone who talks about their emotions doesn't mean that you have any actual handle on your emotion. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all right on stage. Yeah. But I mean, in my life, I still can't work out what I'm feeling. So like, you know, a day later, half a day later, mm. I'm very self-aware. I can properly like work out everything that was happening, but not in that moment. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I need the skills is in that moment. Yeah. Sounds like you'll get you've got some of those kind of skills out. Yeah, I suppose just knowing you're feeling something is better. <laughs> right? Like even if you're right? not quite sure what it is. Right. Like the other <laughs> night I was trying to I, I felt I think I was feeling really anxious about work, but I but I'm still not sure what it was. But I was just like I just had a feeling and I couldn't work out what it was and I was just I was trying to I sort of explained it to my boyfriend, just saying in a really vague way, I was like, oh, I feel weird about something. Like, I think it's work. I don't know, because it's Sunday and I have to go, <laughs> but I don't know, something, I'm, I'm worried about something. But I literally had no idea what it was. And then kind of the feeling went away. But, you know, I had a stab at trying to work out what was what was going on in my head. At least you're starting to be aware. At least you're like, there's a, there's a question or something. And also it might make sense, you know. In, in, in three months' time, you might be oh, like, that's what that was. Yeah. And that'll still help. That'll still help you build up a picture of what's going on. So before I ask, like, the last question, I, there's one thing that I found out, like, just before we went on uh, Mike. Like, I, I said to you, I liked your name. Uh, and it wasn't as, as simple a, a statement as I, I thought it was. So um, I really like your name. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but you, what, why is it uh, more? What, what, what did you say the first time round? Let's 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 see what. Yeah, no, I changed my name by default <laughs> when I was fourteen. Um, right. To be honest, I'm still not entirely sure why, but I think. Um, my my old name was Lucy, which I think is a lovely name, and I genuinely it's think name. it's a really nice name. Um, but when I was fourteen, I thought it was boring because I thought there were loads of people called Lucy, and I'd come up with a a really like cool sounding name um, with a sort of. Full, I mean, now I think I think Lucy's a lovely name, and I think Scarlett's a lovely name. So I'm kind of I think I probably would have been happy with either. Um, but yeah, I, I changed it. Uh, which didn't go down very well with my school friends. <laughs> with your school friends? Yeah, if you don't want to, yeah, if you don't want to get attention drawn to you at school, don't change your name right. midway through the term. Of course. <laughs> don't be the kid who comes into school after sort of half term and goes, "Now you're all calling me Scarlett." Right. Um, so you, I mean, I I got given a nickname at school, and that didn't go down so well. Like, I guess you almost gave yourself the nickname in yeah. this moment. Like, I'm not saying that it necessarily got as bad, or it might have done for no, you. No, it wasn't. It, it wasn't too bad. But like, yeah, like I can see what you mean. Like, and it, that's it's so interesting, isn't it? It's like mm. my my partner doesn't want to be the centre of attention either. And then at the same time, you know, as a teenager, she was a goth. You know, like, I was a bit you know, of a goth as a teenager as well. Exactly right. Like mm. it's like there's so many people who don't want to be the centre of attention who you know dress up in really yeah. wild, outlandish clothes. I mean, I'm one of them for sure. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting balance that thing. But the, but but I do think your name is great. Um, like because like it's not just like so I can see how Scarlet I can see how that can make you wince looking back as a as a teenager like oh what were my motivations oh like is that a cliche is it not a cliche I can see you like how that could go but your surname is Wrench right mm. or your your family that name, one's I real say. yeah <laughs> right 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 so Scarlet Wrench is a, just a 
that, that's a that's a name. Like, yeah, well, see there, that, that validates my fourteen-year-old yeah, yeah, decision. Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. I think it's a good name. Um, and like, so yeah, why did you change it? Like. Yeah, literally, it was only because I thought that it would be more interesting. Also, like at fourteen, I was already in this band. Right, so um, it was, I thought it might be and, to do with yeah, that. and I think I just in my head I thought it'd be sort of cool to have a name that stood out that people would remember. Um, no <laughs> offense to all the lovely people called Lucy out there right. who have a lovely name as well, um, but yeah. So I yeah, I just decided that that was. Um, that was that was what I was going to do. Although ironically, now there are more babies being born called Scarlet than there are Lucy, so it's actually going to work the opposite way. When I'm older, there are going to be Scarlets everywhere, and the Lucys are going to be the the more unusual name. The name that people will think of when, like, we think of Doris, or, mm, or like, yeah. that's, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's gonna like go full interesting circle. when people's names suddenly become granny names or granddad names. So you've kept that name though, right? That's still your name. What, Scarlett? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I know it's your name. Like, like yeah. that's, that's how you introduce it. I can't it. really change it again now. I mean, I wouldn't want to because <clears> I'm very happy with it. But I think I would just people would be too exasperated. Um, was, your, was your family all right with it? <laughs> yeah. Is it almost like a review on this naming they, skills? They, they were, were very all right with it. Which, <laughs> um, you know, I think I would have forgiven them in retrospect if they hadn't been all right with it. But... I think yeah, they just wanted me to do the things that made me happy. Which, I mean, that's a very they're good a nice example. yeah, they're a nice your, your, family. <laughs> your family sounds like a great example. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're might, good people. They, exactly, they might be they might be what we might want a nice family to be, but they don't yeah. sound like my experience of my family or other families necessarily. So that's great. Um, it's yeah, that's what we want. Like we want people to accept their kids' ch- choices, yeah. whatever they are. Like, I mean, I know that's only a trivial thing, like a name, but it's not mm. a trivial thing for other people. The names yeah. are very important. So, like your 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 family's just sound. Yeah, I, I can see why you're such a nice person in that you've, you've had a nice family bringing you up. Thank which you. is not to say that people who've got terrible families can't be really nice people, no. uh, or that people from nice families are always nice people. Um, but yeah, so I, I I actually retract that, but I. Yeah. Yeah. The bit that's a comment my mum will be happy to hear it family. so if nothing yeah. else she'll be smiling <laughs> so yeah I mean it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you today and it's funny because you know when before we started you were like I don't know what I'm going to talk about today mm. and I was like well I think you're going to be good at talking and I, I think you you are good at talking and I was worried that I might talk too much and audiences can uh, can judge me uh, however they want on that uh, hopefully I didn't take up uh, too much space uh, but it's been an interesting uh it's been an interesting experience sitting down and talking about men with a woman mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time, not all the time. Hopefully we also talked about you and your life. Yeah. <laughs> but like, um, so that's, you know, that's a nice, I don't know, that's a nice nice thing to do. And, and, you know, one of the things I like about knowing that you work for men's health is, I guess, that was a surprise to me, mm. be- you know, in a good way. Yeah. Like, I was like, great. I'm really pleased that people like Scarlett are writing for men's health, you know, and it's not a magazine I would read, but it's not a magazine I judge people for reading either. Mm-hmm. It's not like some of the other men's magazines, which maybe I've got more problems with, but I also maybe understand that they're within culture or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's easy for me to be positive about men's health compared to some things. But I think, yeah, I think I'm, I'm really pleased. I want women uh, to, to a certain extent, to be writing for men's uh, magazines. Yeah, uh, I think I'm, they have I'm good happy to be there partly for that reason. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's nice being the sort of only female editorial member on a big team of men. Right. It's interesting, and I think... I like to think the magazine benefits from having me there. Yeah, well, um, you, you've given a very important perspective. I mean, hopefully, yeah, I've been there six years, so if they weren't benefiting, I think they would have got rid of me by now, but they I mean, seem I, to be happy. I, th- I think the same... Yeah, absolutely. I think the same... The same. I mean, you know, like, I hope... I'm not saying that I think men should be writing women's magazines, but I think it's good that if there's a, a man or a couple of men who are in the editorial team, in fact, generally they are, and generally they're gay men, I think, um, which is, a, you know, a, a, a generalisation and it won't be like that. Um, but I think, you know, I'd like to get to a place where, where a women's magazine goes, well, we need, like, maybe one cis heterosexual guy on the team just to, to know the enemy, mm. if, if nothing else. And it's an interesting time for magazines. Like, Teen Vogue is kind of proving to be a very different kind of women's magazine at this moment. Maybe the women's magazine we all need. Yeah. Uh, t- I read a lot of Teen Vogue. Um, and, you know, I, I'm 
sure I will read some Men's Health uh, at some point since you're I'll, writing I'll bring for you them. A copy I'll, I'll see, to the next Spark I'll see event. your articles there. Um, so the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? I don't, other than Spark. And <laughs> you've already um, explained what that is and what the nights are. So that would be the only thing I would be plugging. So come to Spark. Great, yeah, definitely come to Spark. I mean, that's, I've got, I'm, 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 uh, yeah, I'm not unbiased in that recommendation, but it's pretty much the best night. Like, I've had so many amazing nights um, that I'm like, wow, I'm getting paid to host this, and I'm, uh, uh, I've just had, like, the most amazing experience again and again and again. Like, they go to completely different places than you ever expect when you go mm. in, and people have not, have not yet let me down. I, like, gather a group of strangers in a room, and they'll amaze you at what their lives are actually like yeah um so yeah um, and i'm i'm pleased that to, to have to have met you three spark too the last thing that i ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience bye-bye it's been fun thanks bye-bye and you can hear my solo show what about the men mansplaining masculinity as a podcast it's available on the stand-up tragedy podcast feed it's the last podcast that went out on that feed you can also read more about the show over on its website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk and i also reflected on that show in bbc radio 4's forethought episode liberating men and you can find that via google as well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. Season one of The Family Tree is available to listen to on the website, thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk. But even more exciting than season one is the soon-to-be-released season two. So in the middle of July, there's going to be a mini episode which will explain more about what season two is going to be. And then from August, season two of The Family Tree begins. But in order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.